0: This morning's Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, in advance for us to do. Thanks,
1: Gary. Morning everyone. Morning to those at home. We can, as Pastor Charlie said, next Sunday is going to be a special kids' church service, which is what we normally do on the first Sunday in December. We didn't get to do it last year, I don't think, because of COVID. But tomorrow wanted was keen to do it this year and we were certainly keen. So Pastor Charlie's correct we can get 160 on the floor but we can have 25 kids on stage. I don't think that can stay on stage, but we can get some people upstairs as well. I'm not sure how many can go up there. Let's say a dozen. I think it is. Where's Pete? A dozen? 16. And then we can have, I don't know, half a dozen in the foyer or something like that. We can go just under the 200 mark. <coughs> but it would be very helpful if uh, you could either opt to go to the 10.30 service just for next Sunday. That would guarantee you certainly getting in. Well, depending on how many of you do it, because they have about... 50 vacancies at the moment. They're hitting about the 100-120 mark, and same thing. 160 is the limit. But anyway, that's next Sunday morning, 8:30 service, and that will be fun. And then our carols in the evening. This morning we come to the end of our series on being a contagious Christian. This is talk number seven, and it's to do with His story. So I want to talk about what He has done in our life and then for us to know his story so that we can tell other people about it. <clears throat> this is also the weekend that we're doing the hospitality Sunday thing of inviting other people or going to other people's homes and getting to know other people. Who's already done that Friday night or yesterday or whatever? Did you have a good time? Wonderful. Got to meet some new people and learn some things about them. And we've got a luncheon today, uh, so the 10.30 service are going to cut short so I can get home and enjoy the company of the people who are coming to our place. Um... Yeah, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to fellowship with one another, but to gather here this morning and to worship you, to learn from you, to encourage one another. Bless our kids down at Kids Church, Lord. May they can learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him and bless their parents who are with us now. We ask, Lord, that you would be willing... um, That you would find us willing to be responsive to your word to us today. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, When you look closely at a piece of work of art, you can either recognise or discover the artist. I'm not sure if you have a favourite artist, I have one. It's Vincent van Gogh. I love his paintings and some of them in particular. Uh, There are a few other artists that I like, but I am becoming very accustomed to being able to recognise his art um, and forgeries. So if you've got a print or something like that, that's all we can afford, isn't it? Anyway, Michelangelo was reputed to have said once, uh, how did he come to build or make the Statue of David, which is world renowned? And he said, I just took a block of marble and I chipped away everything that wasn't David. The reality seems to be that the artist, the sculptor, sees the finished product before he starts and he moves towards it. So to God in our life, he sees the finished product before he starts working on us. He made us in his image, he made us to have a relationship with him. We got off track through sin. He's in the process of rescuing us and restoring us to what he wants to be, what he wants us to be like. He's shaping us, he takes us as the block of marble and he chips away everything that doesn't conform to that image. So when we become a follower of the Lord Jesus, we're just like a big block of marble if you like and God knows what he wants you to look like, like the Lord Jesus. Whereas we look at our life in the short term and we might feel that, gee, this corner is a bit too sharp and God says, I haven't finished with you yet, I'm still working on you. This bit's a bit rough and it might need sanding and smoothing and maybe even polishing and I haven't finished with you yet. I'm in the process. But this bit is uh, just seems to be wrong, doesn't seem to fit in to do what it ought to do. I'm not finished with you yet. What about this bit? It's not even touched yet. I'm not finished with you yet. This passage talks to us about what we used to be like and what we are now like Because of Jesus. This is his story of what he has done in our life. What were we like? What did we look like? Our spiritual life before we knew Jesus. This passage describes us as being dead, spiritually dead, not physically dead, spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins. We normally think of life as ending in death. Paul says actually when you speak in spiritual terms, our life begins spiritually dead. We begin dead and what's dead? Unresponsive. Death means quite literally separation. That's what the word means, to separate. So that when we die physically, when we see an animal or a loved one pass away, die, there has been a separation of their life from their body and the body is now unresponsive not breathing. The soul and the spirit has left and gone somewhere else. That's what death is and so Paul describes us as being unresponsive, separated from God, distant, lost, without hope. Why were we like that? Well he tells us because of transgressions and sins. Transgressions means that we fail to stay on the path, we get off course, we get off track. We've all done that haven't we? Set out to do something, you set out to do it right, but before very long it could go wrong, or you do wrong, or you say something wrong, we get easily distracted. Sin means to fall short. Like an arrow shooting at a target, we're aiming at something to be good and to be right, but we fall short. That's sin. To get off track, to fall short, renders us spiritually separated from God. That's the story of Adam and Eve, way back in the beginning. Basically, it means that we are self focused, made in God's image, made to relate to him, made to be God-centered. We were lied to and tricked by the evil one in the Garden of Eden and ever since then all of us have been born into this world and now it's quite natural for us to get off track, to fall short, to be eye focused. You don't have to teach babies, you don't have to teach toddlers to say no. I remember being very shocked when Marnie, my third grandchild, said that to me. No, where did that come from? You sinful, transgressing little child. (laughs) It's natural for us. We're born that way. You don't have to teach kids mine, do you? They're selfish. They're born that way. I mean, they're adorable and we love them and all of that and you want the best for them, but they are self-centered, self-focused, little bundles of iniquity, aren't they? (laughs) Amen? Wasn't a very strong amen. (laughs) That's how we got into this mess, because of sin. And in fact, Paul goes on to say for us that we're born into this fallen world. If you doubt this, if this is new information for you, then you tell me what the desire in your heart is when you see the sign, wet paint, don't touch. <laughs> what do you want to do? Hmm. Where does that come from? When you are told, don't, what happens? I think I'll do that. When the government says to us, this is part of our world right now, isn't it? When the government says to us, you must get vaccinated, What happens? Some rise up and say, you can't tell me what to do. Now that's a complicated, bad illustration probably because it's got other complications attached to it. But anyway, into this world we have been following three things. There is us, our sinful flesh, there is the world of people around us and the influences and there's also a spiritual influence from the devil. We follow the ways of this world, its mindset, its values, its thinking. We do what everybody else around us is doing. We seek to impress with material riches. We desire um, positions of power and influence. We want to be important. We want to be recognised. Or we want to gain as much pleasure as we possibly can. Just like everybody else around us. When you live as long as I have, and when you're old enough, and many of you are, every generation has uh, a desire to be identified as different. When I was a teenager, the way that we rebelled against society, the way we marked our individuality as we grew our hair long. (laughs) And if you see photos of me on my wedding day, then you'll see that I have long hair, gorgeous auburn hair. (laughs) Generation before that, short back and sides. What is it now? tattoos. They all want to be different but the trouble is all of those who want to be different are all the same. It's like that all the time. We want to be like the people who are around us. We follow the influence of the world. We also follow the influence of the evil one. This passage describes him in two ways. It describes him as the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He's the one who is in charge of the forces of evil in our world that we are very familiar with. He is powerful. It's limited. It's not as powerful as God. But he's powerful. And he has influence. And he seeks to work behind the scenes. He doesn't want to be recognised because once he gets recognised, he can be resisted. And the scripture says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's defeated. But he doesn't want you to know that. So he deceives, cons. And he's the spirit who is very busy. He is at work in those who are disobedient. He is the one who is putting ideas or suggestions to us, who is tempting us. And as I said, he lies. Right back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, the evil one comes in the, in the, pers- in the animal of the, sna- the snake and speaks to Eve and says, did God say that? No, no, God said this. No, that's not true. God's lying to you. God knows that if you eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, that you will be like Him. He lies. He lies to us. He tells you, if you do this, you'll be happy. What He doesn't tell you, oh and by the way, the consequences of that is your career or your life or your relationship will be ruined in the future. He's very good at it. And we, before Jesus... Our life, spiritual history before we came to know Jesus is we followed him. We gave in to his suggestions and so on. He shows you the bait but he hides the hook. That's our story. But we not only follow um, the world and we not only followed Satan, we also have our own selves, our own flesh, our own sinful nature. So you can't blame others and you can't blame Satan for your sinful choices. The passage goes on to say that we followed our gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. It's a ridiculous story, but it illustrates the point. One time after a church service, people filed out of church and they saw Satan sitting on the driveway out the front. Somebody went up to him and said, What's the matter with you? And he's crying. He said everybody in there is blaming me when I didn't do it (laughs) illustrates the point the devil made me do it is not always true without the devil we are still capable of doing it that's our spiritual history we are without Christ um, and in fact this passage goes on to say and if we stay like this then we will be deserving of wrath The mess that we've got ourselves into, the consequences of our sinful choices is the judgment of the Creator, God's response to his sin. What do you do to a rebellious, disobedient child? Well, you'll discipline them. What happens if they continue to do really bad things? Well, eventually, you'll be separated from them. That's what God will do with those who continue to rebel against him he will separate them from him, expose them to his wrath, what the Bible calls hell. But God. Two of the best words in the whole New Testament, but God. That's our situation, but God, who in his great love for us has given us his mercy and grace. Mercy is holding back of deserved punishment. Grace is the bestowing of undeserved blessing. God has enacted towards us the way we deserved. Pray for me, please, for the carols talk next uh, Sunday night. I've been umming and uhring what to do and I've been thinking about a few things. I'll mention some of them later on in this service if we get time to get to it. But I want to just present the simple gospel story to people at Christmas. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? God made us in his image and we rebelled against him. What's God's response to that? Genesis chapter 3, God comes into the garden in the cool of the day and he speaks to Adam and Eve. He goes seeking those who have rebelled against him. And he clothes them. Then he separates them, as he said. The day you eat of it, you will die. You'll be separated outside the garden. And then Cain up, grows up and He kills Abel, his brother, and what is God's response to that? He comes to Cain and he says, sin is after you. It's crouching at the door like an animal and you must master it. comes after him. God's response all the way through the Scriptures is when we have rebelled against him and gone our own way, he pursues us, follows us to try and win us back, to try and correct us. So great is his love for us. It's amazing. And so that's exactly what, what he has done Here, we are born into this world as earthlings, but now in Christ we have become heavenlings. We are being transformed into a mindset and the values of heaven. We're no longer to conform to this world, to our old sinful ways. We are now being conformed to the image of Jesus and his new ways in our life. God has made us alive, spiritually dead, now alive, responsive to him. That which was separated, God has brought back together. That's the picture of the Old Testament temple. God chose Israel not to be exclusive of other nations, but he chose Israel in order to reach the other nations, to show them that there is a God and you can be in relationship with him. That's what they were supposed to do. But they were self-focused. They thought it was all for them. And even the way the temple was built with the the outer court of the Gentiles and the the court of Israel, court of the women, the court of the men... That there was, sta- there was separation, but it was still possible to come near. It was still possible to offer a sacrifice and to know God. But in Jesus, the picture is that God has torn down the walls that separated us. And the curtain of the temple has been torn in two. And now we have free access to God because of Jesus. What Adam and Eve started when they got kicked out of the garden, God has been at work to reverse, to bring us back into relationship with him. Ephesians 3.12 in the Living Bible and the first edition of the New Living Translation says, Because of Jesus and our faith in Him, we can now come fearlessly into God's presence, assured of His glad welcome. Isn't that a great verse? Because of Jesus and our faith in Him. We can now, we now have access to God, as Paul will go on here to say. Please note these three things, that He has made us alive in Him. This is a one-off event. It's it's written in the past tense. The moment you become a follower of Jesus, the moment you repent, believe, become a a Christian, a believer, it happens then. You've been transferred from the kingdom of Satan and self and you've been transferred to the kingdom of the son he loves. You're now under the rulership and kingship of of the Lord Jesus. God does it. He did it. He made us alive. It's not resuscitation. It's not this life improved. It's a new life imparted. We have been raised up, Paul says, in the spiritual sense. One day it'll be in the physical sense when the Lord Jesus returns, but right now we have been raised from the dead spiritually. There's a new power living in us. The person of the Holy Spirit indwells us, and he's helping us think right, choose right. And now it's possible that we, by our thinking and choosing, can overcome the sin bias that we still have in us. We don't have to sin anymore. We are not captive to sin. We've been set free. But there's still an evil one, there's still a world, and there's still the sinful flesh. So we still have choices to make. Our spirit is saved, we are being saved in our soul, and one day we will be saved in our body. And Paul goes on to climax this by saying, and we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, into the very throne room of heaven itself. Now we are sons and daughters of divine royalty. God sees it. The angels see it. Satan sees it. Paul writes Ephesians so that we could see it, so that we could understand it. It's an incredible spiritual truth. Seated means finished. When the day's labour is over, the workman sits down. The Lord Jesus, when he had finished his work, sat down, which made a little kid ask, What's it like to be God and to govern the whole world just by using your left hand? The pastor said to him, What do you mean by just using your left hand? Well says when Jesus went there he sat on God's right hand. <laughs> Raised, seated. Place of security, place of blessing. Seated in the heavenlies is a place of responsibility and of service. We are servants of the Lord. We are to serve him. We are exhibit A of his divine grace. Remember Adam and Eve made in God's image before they sinned were given dominion to rule over the earth. So God is now restoring this process. And spiritually, we are in the heavenlies. We have spiritual authority. And we exercise that primarily through prayer. This is our spiritual history. God is rewriting it. He's changing us. Seated with him in the heavenly realms. It's by grace that you are saved, through faith. How do you get all of this? By believing. By accepting it as true and by receiving him. And that's not from ourselves. This is God's gift to us. We are not saved by works. The vast majority of people outside think that's how you get saved. By being good, by being religious, by doing good things, by keeping the Ten Commandments, whatever it is. No, no. We're not saved by works. Not by what we can do. We're helpless. We're hopeless. We can't do it. And if we could, we'd boast about it. I, pride again. No, we're saved by grace. And that doesn't finish there. For now, we are God's handiwork. His craftsmanship. God has been at work in us. Transforming us. In fact, just like the artist with the marble, God knows what he wants you to be looked like. And he's been working away and chipping away in your life and shaping you. He gave you the parents you had, good or bad. Adopted or not. God knew what he was doing when he put you together. He took the DNA of your parents and he put it in you. And now he is shaping you. And I'll remind you, we've said this lots of times before, God is the, the divine architect. He's the creator. He's shaping you. And he has a plan and a purpose and a direction for your life. He's given you a shape, S-H-A-P-E. S stands for... Glad that I've taught you that very well. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. He's given you certain abilities and talents, spiritual gifts. H, He's given you a heart. Things that you're interested in, things that you like to do. My wife has a heart for craft. I find it completely boring. Not my heart. But God gave her that heart. God gave... I'll stop talking about her... A stands for abilities, P stands for the personality you've got, and E stands for experiences, both good and bad, educational and whatever else. God has been shaping you, moulding you, so that he could use you. We are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're not saved by good works, we've been saved to do good works, which God has already prepared in advance for us to do. God has made you to do things that he wants you to do. It's incredible. God is at work. And then, I'm sorry for the size of this, but this is a summary in the rest of Ephesians 2. We didn't read this passage, but our spiritual history before Jesus, you can see it in the colours, I think, in the blue. We're separated from Christ. We are without hope. We are without God in the world and, in fact, far away from him. But now in Christ Jesus... You can see the yellows and the greens. We've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We've been reconciled to God through Christ. We have access to the Father through him, by his Holy Spirit. Consequently, we are now citizens of heaven and members of his very own family, his very own household. We are sons and daughters of the King. What does all of this mean for us? Well, before I move on, let me. we now can see life in a totally different way. We don't have to look at life by the things that we just see around us and the circumstances we find ourselves in the middle of. The Holy Spirit within us wants to help us see that we are the recipients of his grace and that he has placed us in situations and circumstances where there's a work for us to do. A relationship, a conversation, an activity... You can't do next year's work this year. So it's one day at a time, one season at a time. What does God want you to do in your life? I'll use Rhonda again as an illustration. Um, 85 years ago, God said to Rhonda, I want you to be a teacher. When she was a little girl, she's still a little girl. Um, When she was a younger girl, uh, God said, Planted that desire in her heart, she wanted to become a teacher. Interesting story and circumstances as well. Jump over all the details, she became a teacher. That's 40 years ago. She now believes God is saying, okay, finish doing that. I've got something else I want you to do. And So all this year she's been preparing. It's the last time I'll do that. It's the last time I'll do that. It's the last time I'll do that. She's got one more outside duty to do and then she has finished. One more week of kids and then one week without kids. And then full time with me pray for her won't you <laughs> God's been at work very clearly in her life and she has fulfilled her life's dream, guess what's been happening in the last few weeks, this happens every year but the last few weeks particularly because it's getting out there that she's finishing kids that she taught in high school they're now up here there's one photo, he looks like he's about 8 foot he's seriously a big dude and against Rhonda and that's what they all do Year six, year five, they come back and they stand next to Rhonda, let alone in high school. She'll be down the street at the supermarket and she will recognise kids and they'll do that. These kids are coming back to her because they remember her very fondly and they thank her for what she taught them to do. She's had an incredible impact in hundreds of kids' lives. Who would have knew that? God did. I want you to be a teacher. I want you to impact these kids and their families. And for many of us, you don't get to see the end result. But God's still at work. He's still doing good things. He just wants you to be available to do the works that he's created you to do as a member of his family. It's like Jesus is now in our life, and I've used this illustration before. I keep wanting to say that because if I don't say that, you think I'm going to be getting dementia, that he doesn't remember the stories that he's told us. It's partly that, but it's also partly because I have a very limited supply of stories, so I keep recycling them. Jesus, Your life is like a car, and Jesus is in the navigator's seat in your car. When Jesus is in your life, he wants to be the navigator. He's not the driver, you're the driver, it's your life. You choose what to do and where you go. But he is the navigator, and he has a plan, and he wants to be giving you directions. He doesn't want to be in the boot where it's a secret follower of Jesus, where nobody knows. You drive to church on Sunday and you open the boot and you ask Jesus to get out and come with you into church and then when you do church, you go back, you go back to the car park and you say, get back in there. And then you go home and nobody would know that you're following Jesus because it's a secret. Nor is he in the back seat. Nor is he simply a passenger. He's not the driver, he's the navigator. And just like our voice on our GPS's or whatever the Lord Jesus says to us in 300 meters take the first exit from the roundabout and head down generosity Street Oh, I don't want to go down generosity Street I don't want to do that and we disobey and then the navigator of our life will say to us in 100 meters make a u-turn and take the third exit on the roundabout to head down generosity Street and if we don't obey that then he'll say Okay. continue on towards pain and discipline (laughs) or he'll say pull over stop what you're doing let's have a chat about this he may put you on your back in a hospital or at home he can influence your life he's committed because he loves you he knows what's best for you and he's going to try and help you make the right choices But sin and Satan and the world have so twisted us that sometimes we choose to ignore him. Anyway, because now Jesus, he's made a significant difference in our life. All of these wonderful things. So we need to know the story. There are four parts to it. I've got five minutes and I've got about 40 minutes to go. So you ready? Here we go. To the gospel story, there are four or if not five parts. God, man, God and response. Here is the simple basic outline of the gospel. God. God made us, made us in His image so that we could relate to Him. God is loving, just and holy. You don't have to say all of this, but it's, this is your basic outline. Talk about God. Man. God made us in His image, but we rebelled against Him. That's called sin. And now as a result of that, we are separated from God, resulting in death. We're helpless and we can't change it. God, in the person of Jesus, has come into our world... He became one of us he lived he died he rose again he was our substitute he paid the penalty for our sin he cancelled our debt he offers us forgiveness what do i do well if you believe and accept him you admit your sin and ask for forgiveness then he gives that to you and gives you eternal life and will begin the process of transforming you into his image what's my response what if i don't well you have free will But just like God removed Adam and Eve from the garden, so He, because you choose not to accept Him, then He will exclude you from the new heaven and new earth. Your choice. Which way do you want to live? So that's the basic outline. What you also need to know is how to illustrate it. Here are nine illustrations. I don't have time. Number one, here is the easiest and the most simplest. What's the difference between religion and Christianity? Do versus done. Every religion in the world is about doing things. I have to do these good things. I have to do these rituals. I have to follow these routines. I have to keep these rules. And if I do that and do it well enough, then I'll get into heaven. Then I'll be accepted. I'll be saved. No. That's religion. And we can't do it ourselves. Done is about what God has done for us already in the person of Jesus. Do versus done. Or you might want to go with the five R's, which is a little bit longer and wordier. What's religion? It's rituals and rites, it's routines and rules, it's all of the resolutions, I'll stop doing that, I will do this, I will improve. No, Christianity is all about relationship. It's about you knowing a person, the person of Jesus, and responding to him. Submission and obedience Two Ways to Live, I'm going to take a couple of minutes on this one. There's a track, this is the first edition, this is it here. This is probably one of my, if not my favourite way of doing this. So I asked Kim to put these out for me, can you read that? Not real well. There is a picture basically, God made the world and God is represented by the king, the crown and so Adam and Eve were living under God's rulership and he put us in this world to serve him and to relate to him. That's not how things are now though because we have rebelled against God, we've crossed out His rulership, we set up our own little kingdom with our own little crown where we want to do what we want to do. What is God going to do about that? Well the wages of sin is death, He is the sovereign ruler of the world and He will call us to account. Um, But because of His great love for us, in mercy and grace, He sent Jesus into our world who lived under the rulership, kingship of God, did everything he was supposed to do. He died, but he also rose again. And when he rose again, he ascended to heaven. So now Jesus is a J in the crown with God and he rules over the world. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that there are two ways to live. You can live on the left like a person who is in charge of their own life, continuing your rebellion against God. The consequences of that are going to be that you will be called to judgment and to account and to exclusion from his presence forever. Or you can choose to live under the rulership of Jesus, that he's your king. He you acknowledge him as your Lord, and he will direct you in your paths. You'll have forgiveness and eternal life. Two ways to live. It's a great little tract, and they've just re... A second edition of it is coming out, so I'm going to buy a couple hundred copies and make it available for you. So they've reworded it. They've changed some of the verses to make it transition more easily and so on. Or well, there is the bridge, which is a brilliant presentation, but I don't have time, but you can look it up. Well, if you can read that, I don't know why that happened. But it's um, navigators.org. They give a brilliant uh, presentation of the bridge. Basically, you know, the bridge is two cliffs, man on one side, God on the other, and Jesus comes in the middle. And he's the bridge between sinful man and sovereign God. There's lots of other things to go into it. Here's another one I found. No way. Yep. Two chairs. Anybody seen this one? Pray for me, that's the one I might do at the carols. I'm thinking about doing it for the carols because it demonstrates very clearly God's attitude towards us is one of grace and mercy and He pursues us and He wants us to respond but He doesn't make us. Gave us free will and He expects us to choose responsibly. You can look that up on YouTube. Uh, There's the moral ladder Which means basically, you know, you you draw a ladder and you say, okay, where would Mother Teresa, to a person who thinks by being good enough, they can get into heaven, say, okay, here's a moral ladder. Where would you put Mother Teresa? Most people have heard of her. I would put her up there. And pick somebody else, whether it's Billy Graham or somebody else who's famous and who's very good, very moral, very upright. uh, They'd be there. Where would you place yourself? Down here. So what do you do with the gap that's between you and God? Even if you're perfect from now on to the rest of your life, what do you do with the previous moral indiscretions that you've been involved in? You help people to understand they fall short. Same with the scales of justice. Two hands is very simple. This is an evangelism explosion. Uh, God is like the light. God made us in his image, so there was no gap between us and him, but we rebelled against him and sin came into our world. and Now we are separated from God. We can, can't relate to him. Jesus came into world world like us and he died on Calvary's cross as a substitute taking our sin. So now we can relate to God if we have Jesus take away our sin. It's very simple. But it's an illustration to help people come to understand these basic truths of the gospel. Look up YouTube, look up Indiana Jones and the Leap of Faith, because there is a brilliant demonstration of what faith is. Faith is not talking yourself into something, faith is trusting the word of an authority and acting on the basis of that. Have a look at that clip, and it'll help you illustrate it. Sorry about the time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who is for us. Praise you and thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness that we can have in Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit indwelling us actively working in us to transform us, to shape us, enabling us to do the work that you've made us to do. Lord, help us to learn these truths, that we can share these truths with other people whom you likewise want to change their spiritual history from rebellion to citizenship. Lord, work in us and through us for Jesus' sake. And everybody said... Amen. Let's stand.